0: Heavenly Father, we beseech thee. I kneel before you as a member of this age-old craft, praying to you for guidance as I am on a journey. A journey for more light, but more especially light that has been lost, forgotten, We're hidden among the ages gone by, the light that connects us with our very meaning and informs us of our purpose. Light locked deep within our past, beyond lips that no longer speak, and paths forgotten, no longer traveled. Aid me in my pursuit, Lord, for historical light. Hey everybody, welcome back to Historical Light, an independent Masonic show focused on the historical events and aspects within Freemasonry. As always, I'm your host, Brother Alex Powers, and I want to thank you for joining us again. Today is episode number 18, and we're going to be talking about Lodge dues, both then and now, so it'll be a great show. But before we get into that, we're going to start off like we always do with our friends over at MasonryToday.com see just what happened in Masonic history today. Today in Masonic History, Francis Baileys was born in 1783. Francis Baileys was an American politician and was born in Taunton, Massachusetts, October 16, 1783. He studied law and was admitted to the Massachusetts Bar in 1810. Shortly after being admitted, he set up a practice for himself in Taunton. From 1812 to 1820, he served as the Register of Probate for Bristol County Mass., in 1818, Baileys made his first attempt at being elected to public office. He was, however, unsuccessful in his bid to gain a seat to the U.S. House of Representatives. However, in 1821, he made a second attempt and was successfully elected to the U.S. House of Representatives. He sat in the United States House of Representatives until 1827 when he was unsuccessful in his re-election bid. Later in 1827, Baileys was elected to the Massachusetts House of Representatives. He served there until 1832 when President Andrew Jackson appointed him as charge de affairs in Buenos Aires. A charge de affairs, and I apologize for any mispronunciations there, is a diplomat that is appointed at times when an ambassador is not available or under special circumstances. This was done after the USS Lexington raided the Franklin Islands after Luis Vernet attempted to assert his monopoly on seal hunting. Vernet seized at least four American fishing vessels and had begun outfitting them for war. Baileys and his family arrived in La Plata on board the USS Peacock. They were accompanied by two British ships, both of which playing Hail Columbia in honor of Bailey's arriving. At the time, Hail Columbia was an unofficial anthem of the United States. Bailey's appointment was very short, however, and he returned with his family to Massachusetts in 1835. He then ran again for the Massachusetts House of Representatives successfully and later in life engaged in literary pursuits. Bailey's passed away October 28th of 1852. He was a member of Mount Lebanon Lodge in Boston, Massachusetts. Thank you again to our friends over at masonrytoday.com for another great article. Definitely check them out at their website and social media so you can keep up with the rest of the great articles they put out on a daily basis. But for now, let's jump over and pay the bills. Today's episode is brought to you in part by our sponsor, Masonic Revival. If you haven't checked them out yet, do so today, right after the show, at MasonicRevival.com. You're going to find an excellent source there of Masonic bow ties, neckties, lapel pins, and much more. And if you use our promo code, which is all caps, one word, light, I'll say it again, all caps, one word, light, you'll get free shipping on your entire order. So definitely take advantage of that today at MasonicRevival.com. Now, the show's also brought to you in part by viewers like you. If you like to see what we do here and want to see us grow and continue over time, you yourself can support the show. Go to our website, historicallight.com, click on support us up in the main menu, and you can uh, give to the show through the means of PayPal, safely and securely. And you can do that on the basis of a monthly donation or a one-time donation. And we definitely appreciate everything you're willing to offer. All right. Well, that pays the bills. All is well in the world. Let's jump into our interview for today. I hope you enjoy. Hey, everybody, welcome back to historical light. We are thrilled today to have on the show brothers, Nick and Robert Johnson, and they are going to be, um, touching on the subject of dues with us. So if you don't mind, I'll go ahead and hand it over to RJ. Let's go with you first. If you just kind of want to further introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Sure. Uh, Robert Johnson, known uh, as RJ to some, I should say, also at the beginning of the program, you said uh, both Robert and Nick Johnson, uh, we are not exclusive to each other or related. Although <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't mind. Uh, it would be awesome. So... That's right. Uh, so, uh, I guess my background is about nine, ten years ago I joined Freemasonry, um, went through a very typical way, uh, got my degree, returned to long form catechism, got a degree, long form catechism, got a degree, long form catechism. I went through in about a month and a half, um, and... Went through the chairs, uh, went through all my chairs, was worshipful master back in, I think, 2014, 2015. Uh, Couple years spent as a district education officer and current sitting, uh, uh, whatever you want to call it, district deputy grand master. Some people have district inspectors. Uh, So I'm a DDGM, um, going into my and current sitting secretary of my lodge and various other goofy orders.
0: Wonderful. And Nick, we'll jump over to you. If you want to further introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your background as well. Sure. Uh, I'm Nick Johnson. Um,
2: So I joined in uh, 2006. Um, uh, The the way in which I found the fraternity was uh, through Abe Simpson, also known as my grandfather. So he had a letter on his desk from Thanksgiving from the Knights Templar. And I thought that was a little odd, considering the Knights Templar don't actually exist anymore. And he uh, told me that he was actually a stone cutter. He was actually a Freemason, had no idea. And he explained it all to me and said, hey, you know, this is this is Freemasonry. I've been a member for like 100 million years, and yeah, I never tell anybody. And so uh, from there I joined, went through all the chairs, um, became Worshipful Master in 2010, and then I joined everything else because I just... I had to run the small business known as Corinthian Lodge Number Sixty Seven. So, <laughs> and then, and then after that, it was, it was uh, um, just a nice ride through all the other bodies and chairs I've been through.
0: Wonderful. Well, Nick, uh, you just mentioned having some family history. Um, what all family history do you have within Freemasonry? Oh, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think how how
2: far back. So, my grandfathers were both Freemasons. Um, and actually my father was raised by my grandfather after I signed his petition. So it was kind of a circular back deal. Um, I think my mother, or my grandmother's father, his father, and then it, it, I think it's about four or five generations back, might be a little bit further. Um, I come from a family of railroad workers and uh, the thing about Freemasonry and rail, railroad work is that it was often a way in which a guy who was working on the rails uh... could actually uh... meet up with other people that he may or may not have known uh, you know to get help along the way if you ever look at a map of lodges and a map of railways they almost always are following the same path and trajectory
0: right on well uh... RJ, what about you? Do you have uh, family history ties within the craft? Where'd it go? There we are. Oh, sorry about that. No, you're good. <laughs> uh,
1: so I have like zero family history, or so I thought. Oh. Um, I had looked very uh, close and tried to find my any relatives that were Masons, uh, led me down a, a wild path of finding out that my family was, uh, you know, here in almost the very beginning, and they migrated south and um, were part of all the wars, uh, and went through looking at all the history, and finally I found one gravesite, uh, uh, Gilbert Lafayette Johnson, who was a mason. Um, I just you know, all I have on him is that. The square and on his gravestone. I've contacted the Grand Lodge of Arkansas uh, to get those records. However, I was explained that they had a, a massive fire and so many records. He's basically, you could come down and take a look, but uh, good luck. Um, I've. Not actually made that journey, but my my wife's side of the family, you know, her father was not a mason, but her grandfather was, and so on and so forth. Probably three or four generations deep. In fact, um, the my uh, most ex- I, I, it's kind of a weird thing to say your most expensive masonic ring because <laughs> we all buy these twenty thirty dollar rings, <clears throat> um, but. Uh, my most expensive masonic ring is actually uh, probably one hundred and fifty years old it's uh, from my wife's father's side of the family um, <clears throat> It is a knight Templar ring uh, with the uh, we have a uh, keystone on one side a square and compass on the other and then the top is it's it's fairly soft gold right so it's uh, the top was like a almost like an open book so i 'm assuming a bible and then on top of that was the uh uh crown and the uh, uh, cross through it, uh, but anyway, that's really my only uh, my only tie. Um, I was hoping to find more on my father's side, but I'm sure there were many more. But I also um, don't want to look too deep. Probably some cognitive dissonance there because uh, they were pretty involved in the Confederacy. So
0: ah, <laughs> well, you had I don't want to know what they did. <laughs> well, you, you had mentioned there. Construction of a fire, and I mean that—that's kind of unheard of in masonry, is it not?
1: <laughs> oh, this guy's a joker.
0: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I mean that—that's that's, yeah, got to be sure. one of the key factors. I push. You know, I, I frequently give a, a lodge presentation on the uh, preservation recovery of lodge history, and those are always the two things we always cover: is water and fire. They're your two biggest biggest nemesis is women of the craft. I don't know what it is, but we're like a magnet for them. So. <laughs> Well, it's actually kind of, of
1: conflagration yeah. What?
0: Yeah. right
2: <laughs> well and and that's actually kind of funny is that Corinthian um the great fire of Farmington uh actually burned down our original building, and the way that in which they we we didn't have any other records except for the minutes books because the the brothers actually ran into the lodge right, grabbed the minutes books and ran out of the burning building saving those minutes so you know it's it's bizarre how how you know you you find minutes to be so mundane and yet those brothers were right right into the fire
0: well you, you know it's up. awesome i have the exact same story with my lodge gardner lodge originally chartered 1868 uh, original building burnt down in 1906, same exact deals, you know, two-story building, shop on the bottom. Um, I believe it was the secretary from what I've been told. Ran in, burning flames and everything, and recovered uh, the minute books and a couple pictures. The Constitution and something else that was framed, still all smoke-covered and stuff, but all we got was our record books. Everything else was lost, so awesome and, and oftentimes,
2: yeah, And oftentimes those buildings, they would actually be built near rail, uh, railway yeah. lines, and the thing is all all engines have at, back in the time were hot boxes you know yeah. the oily rags shoved in to kind of keep everything from from sparking inside the engine but you know if they weren't cutting the brush down <laughs> they would they would just ignite and that's what would happen so i mean these almost every one of these stories happens because of a either a faulty uh, boiler or a, uh, a a train passing by and starting the whole
0: town on fire <laughs> so, oh, yeah it's it's a sad truth well, kind of moving on a little bit here, what is it that actually brought you guys into to make the leap into joining Freemasonry? Whoever wants to start. RJ, you want to go first?
1: Sure. Uh, basically, I was very much into philosophical teachings, um, kind of diving into some of the uh, deeper, um, I'll call it, I'll use the term esoteric, but at the time, it's probably not what I was thinking about. Um, and basically I got a book a friend of mine, an artist friend of mine lent me uh, Yukatero Hamada a great guy, a great artist uh, gave me this book of Masonic tapestries and I'm flipping through and it's just like barely these little captions of maybe what's going on within these scenes and these tapestries and I remember seeing a very famous uh, one that we've all seen, I'm not going to uh, disclose what it is but Culmination of a third degree, maybe, um, and I thought this is really crazy. Um, I gotta find out more about this, and so I started diving kind of deep, right? And what I would read on Wikipedia, and keep in mind, this is like two thousand and five. I would read like on Wikipedia about how these guys did work, and they were masons and they did work, and and I kept thinking, well, like, what is this work that they keep saying that they're doing? I mean, are they talking about philosophy, and are they actually like chipping stones, like these Ashlers? Like, I, I was having this mental image, right? I really really wasn't um, versed in what it was at all. I then later went to uh, a Lodge or to kind of check it out, which is Orange Lodge in Orange, California, and I totally chickened out and uh, waited a few years. I ended up joining, I think, in 07 or 08. Uh, and... That's kind of the story about how I went about joining. Um, again, was looking for that philosophical element, and we all know how that turned out. So.
0: Indeed. indeed. <laughs> well, we're glad you did make that leap. Uh, yeah, I am too. Nick, how about you? What, what is it that caused you to make that leap into joining Freemasonry? Sure. So as I was saying, it was Abe Simpson
2: who actually got me in. But actually, it was my years in college— And actually, he was like Abe Simpson. Like you couldn't understand anything my grandpa was saying because he was deaf because he was a railroad engineer. So so anyway, uh, at college, I'd pass by the uh, um, the Masonic Hall that was in the the town where I went to went to school, and I would see the square and compass and think this is amazing. This is like the coolest thing ever. And then you're both gonna laugh at me. I'd see the Eastern Star symbol. And I thought that was the most esoteric thing I'd ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> look at it and go, look at this thing. And so I'd my my uh, former girlfriend, now <laughs> wife. I'd, I'd elbow her a little bit and say, look at this. Look at this most esoteric symbol. I mean, I don't even know what this is. I mean, it's upside down. It's a pentagram. Yeah, I found out later it's not as cool as I thought. I mean, but it is anyway. evil. It is yeah, evil. Yeah. But. Yeah. So, <laughs> Quality advertising, uh, but right? so. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, that's how I, I got in was because I was looking at this this building every single day. And I've always been interested in history and uh, architecture and things like that. And so, you know, I'd look at it going, wow, this is like the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Right. And then my grandpa, you know, all of a sudden finding out that, oh, he's been a Mason the whole time. You know, find out that he's been involved in a million things because that's just what they did back then. It's <laughs> so that's how we that's how I got into this whole this whole gig so
0: that's awesome well I'm totally glad you guys made the leap in um what you guys have both done for the craft has been awesome and I gotta say you both have been mentors to me uh for some quite or quite some time now if I can learn how to speak tonight uh so it's a pleasure to have you on and to find out that your grandfather was probably in charge of those those fires you said he was running the trains right no, <laughs> he were luckily in Austin, Minnesota, so they were smart and built it away. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, to kind of segue into tonight's topic, we're here to talk about dues, and I had recently came across this. I was I was working on um, a presentation that I recently gave at a uh, Grand Lodge deal. And i was trying to come up with some material for it and i flipped open a book in my lodge this isn't the original numbers from 1868 it's from 1882 but i flipped it open it's written right there and it's just bam it's what really caught my eyes so i'm going to touch on this and then we're going to talk to the two of you and kind of go over just dues as a whole perspective where we were where we are and what's up with them so keep in mind these are numbers from gardner kansas not new york city not kansas city Gardner, Kansas, very small rural farm, back in 1882. So in 1882, Gardner, Kansas charged $10 per degree, first, second, and third, equivalent today. It's around $227 per degree. So you're looking at about $681 to reach your master mason. Annual dues at the time were about two bucks. Calculated into today's money, it's about $45.42. On top of that, you got Grand Lodge per capita, which was 50 cents or about $11 and 35 cents today. So to put that into perspective today, we're charging $75 all three degrees flat. We're charging $26 for our annual dues and then about an additional 24 for Grand Lodge per capita, which is on top of that, which brings us to, you know, 50 bucks. So for our degrees alone. We went from a value of about $681 in 1882 to $75 today. That spoke volumes to me. To put it into more perspective, that $75, we give the candidate materials. We give them cipher, study pamphlets, leather apron. That stuff brings us to about seven dollars cost to the lodge. On top of that, there's a $5 fee from the Grand Lodge to actually raise a brother. So when it's all said and done, every time we bring a brother into the Lodge, we're shooting ourselves in the foot and we're sitting negative $10 in the hole. Like that just really stunned me right there. Not only are we giving away the secrets of masonry for free, there's no value to them. We're paying you to come in. And I'm not trying to throw my lodge under the bus here. These are numbers that you find everywhere. And you know, every lodge's dues vary from lodge to lodge, but everyone I've talked to is in a varying state of the same degree. They're they're finding that, that same harsh reality. Every time they bring someone in, it's actually putting them in the red. You know, there's no value there, and what's what's really making the person stay when it's not valued? And if you look at our dues, our dues in eighteen eighty two a value of about forty five dollars today we 're charging twenty six we 've chopped those in half. Grand Lodge has doubled and they've told us that you know they have to keep raising to actually stay afloat so i'm really at a point that you know it's 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 a shocker to me seeing the value that we 've placed on this craft that we claim means the world to us you know we 'll we'll pay so much for cable and phone and gripe and gripe about the quality of our cell service and gripe that there's nothing on these channels we're paying two hundred dollars a month for but we can't pay a cup of coffee for the lodge experience that we all desire now there's sides to that too and you know we're we're going to touch in on all this but the value factor you know we raise the dues is there value to stand up to that or make it worth it um, but at the same time we're talking about the craft that our our brethren have cherished and brought to the point that it is today we're giving it away for free so both of you brothers i wanted to bring you on because i know you're both passionate on the subject you've spoken written on it um quite extensively and really caught my attention so i'm kind of hand it over and see what is your guys perspective what have you seen on this and what's your thoughts
1: well uh i'll bite so Nick and I are both huge proponents, I think, right off the bat of saying, due should be higher. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have some different thinking about why, but I think we also have a lot of overlap. Uh, the numbers you describe are 100% like accurate. Like right. It is by no stretch of the imagination to say that that is you know, 90% of the lodges in the United States, uh, whether that's a small farming community um, or even big city. Um, yeah. The only reason big city lodges tend to have higher dues and whatnot is because maybe they have some, um, like you can look at economically, it costs more to live in the city, so you're probably making more money, and if you have, if you're making more money, there's a chance that you have more expendable income, and you value an experience, and you have this kind of maybe thought that things are worth more, and you're willing to pay more. So you move in that direction. I mean, there is a, an economic side to that, and that thinking. Uh, Waukegan, our history has been very similar. Um, the dues to uh, to become a mason for us. Um, I can't remember the exact amount, but I want to say it's very similar to what you were talking, because I think for our lodge to receive all three degrees, it was around $800. <clears throat> uh, Waukegan was interesting. It it was started as Waukegan was actually called Union 78, um, and then Waukegan 324, like six years later, and they later merged to form Waukegan 78. But Basically, Union 78 was comprised of doctors and lawyers, and Waukegan was blue-collar workers. And uh, the mindset of the dudes back then, you know, I'm not really sure. They were meeting in union halls. Um, they did build a gigantic structure um, in the corner of, uh, right, we've, we've stayed in the same area in Waukegan, like, all of our history, within, within, within a two-block radius and so I get why they we spent eight hundred and twenty dollars to bring the guys through the degrees. The dues were very similar uh in in respect they were about forty or fifty bucks back then um oh, all in in terms of what we would charge today uh but also there we we uh declared fees. For missing meetings also so like if there wow. was a monthly communication and you didn't show up you were charged 20 cents um, and then you were uh, audit you were <clears throat> billed like quarterly quarterly or you know twice a year or whatever it was and we had to make some rough choices here in in Waukegan just recently uh, two years ago the year I went into the east I started when I was senior warden Bring in presentations to the lodge on where does this money go? We have several accounts. It looks like we have a lot of money, uh, but we really don't because most of it's tied up in uh, bequeaths. So they will, you know, somebody who dies passes on you know $100,000 to us, but it also is stipulated that that money is to go to a charity. So that's not operational cost money, and it's not like. You know, lodges are real great about keeping separate accounts. It's separate accounts on paper, but we just jump it all into the same account. Right. And uh, that's real typical. And I think it's dangerous. But uh, so we had to look at that. And we took the dues. We went from where we were, which was at $60, and we doubled them to $120 for the dues. Um, it now costs on the whole we are the most expensive lodge in our district um, to acquire the degrees. So um, as a district deputy grand master, I have great uh, anxiety about the fact that we have seven lodges in our district. And if I calculate the amount it takes to become a master mason, uh, so if I'm talking about one lodge in our district to petition, Just all three degrees and one year dues so no prorated amounts so like just everything in one shot you can become a master mason for the low cost of 275 dollars my lodge cost six hundred and twenty dollars so there's a huge difference there and we're talking about a 20-minute drive so when guys ask what's what's the difference I don't know what to tell them. Um, I like to think, I'm a little bit biased in my own lodge and say that I feel like maybe we have um, some practices within the way we do degree work that make a real difference. Um, But then, of course, that's kind of like the holistic value of dues. There is the operational cost of dues, which is what does it cost to run your building? What does it cost to do this? What does it cost to do that? and like you were talking about you guys run it the hole by ten bucks um, and we're not here. so to petition our lodge it's two hundred dollars and then each degree is a hundred dollars and the dues are one twenty uh, so out of all that we come out on top um, the first year and then there's some those fees like the petition fee and the degree fee. Those all go into an operational fund that allows us to get a Bible, an apron uh, for a candidate, and also like a little, uh, it's like a, whatever you want to call it, uh, small ritual book, but doesn't have everything in there. The monitor. Right. Um, So we'll give those things to candidates, um, and we're okay. But if we're just looking at where that $120 goes, for us, it's. We have approximately 300 members in our lodge. Our building costs about $20,000 to maintain. You divide that $20,000 over the cost of those people, and it comes out to about $67 a head. Now, if you think about it, before we raised the dues, we were at 60 and half of that head to our temple board. Right. So the temple board was only being funded $25 instead of... 67 so we were dipping in all day long into uh charitable funds in order to pay these bills when we would get assessed so the stipulation in our bylaws now 67 dollars per paid dues membership goes into the uh temple board and uh then we have uh ten uh five dollars ten dollars goes to per capita five dollars goes to the secretary fee two dollars and fifty cents to the treasurer and it leaves thirty-five dollars, I believe, that go into the reserves. But out of that thirty-five bucks, you know, who's to say what happens with that thirty-five? I'm a big fan of running a zero-sum game. At the end of the day, I don't want to make any money. I just want to break even because then it's clean. But it also doesn't, and I'm sure you'll get into this, but it doesn't leave any room for emergency funds. Right. But uh, those are kind of my initial comments.
0: Right on. Well, before we jump over to Nick, real quick. Kind of clarify because in my numbers I realized out of spot, So those of you that are crunching the math on me, you're going to see that I was off a few bucks. So out of the $61 that it costs to give the the candidate or new brother uh, materials, that is before shipping or tax. So at that point it puts us at about a negative five. You add in the grand lodge charge of five bucks, we're at negative ten. So the math is there; it's hurting. But just wanted to clarify that for those of you that are going to be blowing up the comments afterwards. So, Nick, we'll go ahead and jump over to you. And what, what's your thoughts on the Dues issue?
2: Don't worry, they'll be blowing up the comments after I speak. <laughs> um, but, uh, so, you know, I, I wrote a piece, um, The Elitist Inside. And, you know, it's mm. one of those that spurred a lot of discussion. Uh, because I came up with this concept. For for me, the, the problem that we have in any Dues discussion is you constantly have the but what about what about the older guys or what about the guys who are broke or what about the and so when i came and started at this this idea i first started with the idea of we shouldn't be looking for masons until they are at a financial point in their life that this is something that won't become a you know another thing and so you know i I, I found it kind of interesting after I posted that, 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 you know, everybody was very... They they view Mason as this, this society that's supposed to essentially break the stones out, work the stones, and then they're perfect, blah, 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 right? And I'm like, no, 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 the, the, they've already been quarried. We've already found the good guys that are already at a point where you can consider them a stone at this point. So, you know, for me, I think the dues discussion has to come out What are you valuing Freemasonry at? And so, to describe it, at least at my lodge, um, when I joined, it was $200. I think it's still $200 to join, which when I first heard that number was shocking because I thought it was much, much lower than it should have been. And I know I've heard so many people say the same thing, you know, when I was master and things like that. $200, that's it. Okay, well, all right, well, let's see. And, you know, let me write the check now, you know, and, Right. It's it's not so much that you're trying to keep out people based on a value, a, a number, right? You want to make the number actually actually appropriate for what you're doing, and you know, it, there was somebody who said, I, I'm not sure uh, if it's Piers Vaughn or another Masonic resident, it used to be two weeks of pay for a laborer was how much dues were a year, mm-hmm. right? Well, if we consider that minimum wage is, is technically the lowest amount you can pay someone, to, uh, um, uh, to be, uh, um, what do you call it, you know, to be, uh, uh, in this country, that's six hundred, that that six hundred dollars that that uh, would be, what two weeks of pay would be, right? Well, six hundred dollars isn't really all that much when you really think about it. But unfortunately, people don't think about it that way. They think about, well, you know, it's 75 bucks, it's a lot of money. I mean, how am I supposed to come up with that? And then you're like, but you're also in Shrine, you're also in Scottish Rite, you're also in Park Rite. You're already valuing Freemasonry at $600, if not more, because I've just counted, you know, four organizations that now hit you at $600. And so, really, you know, under an economic theory, we already know how much the value of Freemasonry is. It's whatever the average amount of money somebody is paying into their lodge plus other bodies. And I guarantee you that hits at least $600, um, if not more. But, you know, unfortunately people don't really want to think about it that way because, and I think it's a Depression-era idea, you know, that idea that, well, we've already got this can of beans. Why would I go out and, you know, get better food? We've already got this can of beans. And it's like, well, it's already rotten. That's really why so you know why are we why are we constantly worrying about conserving resources when we're running out of them you know and that's so for me you know dues whenever you're discussing dues i think you have to come first at it in a philosophical manner which is what what are we pricing this fraternity for what is the purpose of this cost and for me it's that you want to I'm not really a fan of zero based budgeting on it. I'm more of a fan of the idea that it's, it's to encourage you to increase the experience that you're going to find
0: to that dollar value. Right. And so. No, I, I I totally get what you guys are saying. And you know, the funny thing is when I came to masonry, I was on the opposite end of the spectrum. I'll, I'll be very blunt. My financial has very much improved. Um, from where I was to where I am now, by no means a millionaire by any you know any standards to that. But when I came into Freemasonry, I was worried about the money. I, I don't know why, because I mean you, you put it into uh, in you know into reality, and God, you go to McDonald's anymore and you're dropping twenty five bucks. I mean, you spend on junk food in a month's time. Put that over annual dues, but for some reason the dues payment was like whoa. And then they talked about doubling it, and I freaked out. I was one of the guys against it, but growing into Freemason where I am now, I have to look back and say, "Wow, I really didn't understand the value of money and more than that, I really didn't understand the value of this craft that I'm in this <laughs> this thing that I'm really supporting, because I'm one hundred and ten percent on the opposite side of the spectrum now I'm like, we talk about guarding the West Gate, but it's more like in we'll pay you we'll pay you ten bucks, actually, mm-hmm. you know." Mm -hmm. And it's, it's an eye opening fact. I mean, not just that, just to throw some more numbers at you guys, this, this is something I'm going to be addressing in my lodge. We're coming out of darkness, uh, this next week here and, you know, preparing this uh, presentation I just did kind of brought all this to reality. It's, it's always been there, you know it, but it's like, bam, here's the pie chart that my wife up for me. Our lodge has about 170 members, well, members exactly. The average life expectancy for a male in the United States is 78 years old. Right now we have 40 individuals over the age of 78. Now, obviously we don't want to just say, hey, you're gone today. That's a horrible way to look at it. But that possibility is there, right? That's 24% of our guys just anytime. We have So Alex- Yeah, go ahead.
1: I don't want to cut you off here, but this is something a great friend of mine, uh, Scott DuBall, he actually was looking at this, and he does a presentation about this in our own area, and he talks about how something like 20 to 30% of our members are, within the next 10 years, older than the mortality rate. Yeah. Uh, he's like, and so when you think about that, we have some real problems.
0: Precisely. The average
1: age of the Masons in the state of Illinois is 62 and a half years old. In my district, it's also 62. My oldest member in our district is 102, and my youngest is 23.
2: And I guarantee, like, and, and if you look at how the Grand Lodge, it's very much going in the opposite direction what we're discussing now. Because, you know, for them it's, well, why on earth would you want to raise up your dues fees now? You need to get these guys in now. And and I sit yeah. there and go, well, that's not the way it works, you know. I, and, you know, I don't know.
1: And to that end, you know, the Grand Lodge has a very idea. They're not on the same spectrum as I think the average Mason is when it comes to dues. They look at it like they care about the per capita. And with per capita, I get it. Illinois has the lowest per capita in the nation at $10 a head, uh, which is ridiculous. Right. Um, when I think about that and I think about how much these guys sometimes cry about, no, Grand Lodge not doing this or not doing that. All I can think of is, well, you, you shoot down a per capita increase every year, guys. Um, so it's an interesting way we're looking at it, especially like when they try to appeal to the majority. And in our case, you're appealing to the 62 year old, which I'm not saying is a mistake think you need to appease your base but also we really need to pay attention to uh who's gonna be driving the car in like five years right
2: well and and you know that to that too i mean i i wish we could (laughs) okay so we have such a large population of uh, men that are of retirement age right and so the argument is constantly well they're on a fixed income which you know we're all on a fixed income, <laughs> you know, unless we're in sales. Um, but, you know, I, I it's one of those that I wish we could create a cutoff, right, for every lodge that they could separate them out, two-tier system, right, so that you can get rid of that argument and then start to actually ramp those up to where they belong because, you know, it, that argument is going to be our death now. I mean, that's what it is, you know.
1: So, Nick, you said something interesting, and you talked about... You have all these organizations that charge you the x amount of dollars, and it just it triggered a memory I had of a post uh, John Ruark did in the Winding Stairs Freemasonry group, and it looks like it was back in January, January thirty first. He wrote, "How much is masonry worth? For you try this: mm. add up all your annual dues for all of bodies, divide it by three sixty five, and post your results below. Essentially, how much does masonry cost you per day?" And it was interesting, you know. I just mentioned Scott Duval, Duvall's dollar ten a day. Um, I, I think Nick, you were at ninety three cents um, mm-hmm. with all the organizations um, that I belong to. It's like two dollars and sixty five cents a, a day or something. But it's like uh, that is an absolutely valid argument, you know? Yeah. How much? Mm-hmm. How much are how much are all these organizations costing you? when you really just look at it and add it up
2: but you know and that's the thing it's like you know like i was describing before i'm in a number of different bodies and adding them all together it's a little less than 300 dollars a year even though now it's going to be a little bit more because i've got another one possibly on the way anyway i have an addiction and i'm trying to get out of it but <laughs> i can't because well the nick will sign any
1: petition like Anything. you could you could give him a petition for the turtles, and they don't even have a petition, but he'd
0: sign it.
2: I'd sign it. I'd, I'd be like, "And what are the dues again?" Because I'm ready to go. I got my checkbook. I'm I'm like the only person my age that has a checkbook, you know. I was like, "Hey, I'm ready to go." Hey Nick, <gasps> I got one for you
0: right here, buddy. We need some guys. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I gotta hide these track marks from my PO I'm like... <laughs> But uh, you know, it's
2: like, um, oh, but you know, that's the thing is, you can actually tell how much somebody is valuing freemasonry and at the same time you get these external pressures from the other bodies you know originally they were appended to and and they could charge as much as they could because guys were so excited to be members of the masonic fraternity right that they were they were valuing it higher and it didn't matter well now on the other hand it's like well shrine dues are at two hundred dollars we can't raise our lodge, and it's like well (laughs) You got to have this or this or split. I mean, that's, that's how it works. You know, you, and that's the problem you're getting these external pressures from bodies that are supposed to be dependent upon something. And instead it's, it's the tail wagging. That's a huge problem.
0: So kind of, kind of the second part of what I was was saying there is, you know, we got that 24% that is over 78 currently, but we have 25% a decade behind so in 10 years time my life is just looking at being 51 percent lower like that's a terrifying thought like how do you how do you cut the bills you know it seems to be this trend in masonry of oh we got to do things the way we've always done it and we do it that way because we've always done it that way you know, Dues have not always been this cheap that number had more value to it back in history so i mean, we're really kind of killing ourselves here I With with my Grand Lodge, for example, this last year, I wanted to stand up in the middle of an applause because every year, you know, it's like, for one thing, if you raise dues, how are you going to get people there? Because that's really the only thing they show up for. Last year, you know, the last couple of years they've advertised, Hey, we're talking about increases, boom, record, record amount of guys showing up to the meeting and they all there to vote it down. Well, this last year they up and are like, look. We've asked you over the last several years, what what do you want to do with that? And you guys, you want to keep this. You want to keep that. You want to add stuff here. You want to add stuff there. So now we're at the point of we're at a crossroads and you need to make a decision. Either we can keep money where it's at and we drop this and drop this and drop this because they're no longer sustainable. Or we keep it the way it is, but we have to add money here and add a little money to this if you want it it comes at a price tag and the way they put it was much more elegant than that, but it was just like blunt right in your face. There it is. No shiny trick. Yeah. It's, it is what it is. And guys, I mean, come on, we're, <laughs> we're really, uh, really undervaluing this thing that we wanted to so highly about all the time, but it's not worth the, uh, worth the extra cash.
2: Well, and it's kind of interesting as on uh, the subreddit, uh... Our Freemasonry, they actually and you know, uh, Masons. We always have to go back to George, George Washington. Yeah. You know, but uh, you always have to do that. Anyway, um, I, I was looking back. Uh, we were doing calculation on an article that or a a question two years ago, and they actually, you know, asked how much were his dues because he paid, um, I, I think it was two or three three pounds. But, in today's dollars, the fees would have been for his degrees would have been between four hundred dollars and four hundred and fifty dollars, and that was just right. for his degree fees and and you know that's not unreasonable when you really think about it you know four hundred five hundred six hundred dollars that's that's completely accessible for for anyone making more than minimum wage yeah um and that's the thing but you know we've got these external pressures of guys that are saying I can't afford and guys that are far too young to be Freemasons I was one of them so I can admit to this I I had no business being in a lodge at the time in which I joined I should have waited at least two or three more years because then at that point I would have been more financially secure, able to give back to my lodge more um, and i think that's just it is this this whole discussion of dues is it's not just a how much are you willing to value it it's how much are you willing to value the people that are in your lodge and i just you know i don't think we we're at that point i think we've got so used to circling the wagons and not thinking about the future you know it's well at least we got enough money to pay the light bill you know and that's right a terrible way that's a terrible way to to think of the future
1: so I often wonder, though, about raising the lodge dues. I always think about it in terms of what the building costs. And when it says the dues are too high, I can say it's not that the dues are too high. This building is too expensive. Mm-hmm. So for me, I look at it like if you don't want to have high dues, then we need to move. And if... uh If that means building like a bungalow type steel shed lodge that i've seen you know a couple hundred of you know in in terms of lodges i've visited across the united states you know sure at a time in our uh, our united states history freemasonry had a lot of members members built some plastic structures i've made the argument that they made they built those structures but they're you know, those guys are writing checks that the future generations can't cash, and we aren't going to be able to sustain those buildings. I mean, the building Waukegan built in 1921, uh, we sold in 1980 something for $35,000. Um, it was going to cost 100 and, or six million to bring it up to code then, and it sold last year in Waukegan for 11 million. Uh, and we got rid of it for thirty five grand. Um, we fitted an old furniture store, and that 's where we meet today and we th- and you think about that and we 're still charging one hundred and twenty dollars a year for dues to maintain a really large furniture store essentially i mean it 's a really big building uh, we 've amount of space, a great dining hall we 've got a great lodge room uh, storage and and uh it's wonderful but the fact is if my guys don't want to pay 120 dollars for dues then it's time to move and i'm okay with right. that um i feel like that's just that needs to happen and that needs to happen and if you don't ever want to collect dues again you know a lot of guys they, they bring up this this talk of i don't know if you guys have them in your states but life memberships mm-hmm. uh, i don't like lodge memberships uh, people say oh they're they're really good yada 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 look good for the brother they're not good for the lodge um, you know, for us, the way these things work for your listeners who might not know you know in Illinois, it works like this uh we charge you x amount a minimum of uh fifteen times the dues uh, and then that number is put into an account. Uh, at the Grand Lodge, and the Grand Lodge sends an annual return back to the Lodge, which is usually about 4.2% of your total account value. So when you think about that, uh, if we want to do nothing, but, I mean, like earlier I said, out of the $120 that we get, 67 has to go just to the temple board. Now, if I have life members that are continuing to come to the building, I'm getting... Thirteen dollars a year back on from from those guys. Wow! So you tell me how that's good for masonry or for the lodge or whatever. Uh, you know, if you, if you want life memberships, I'll tell you. The other thing is, it's on average about ten years after a member has died before we see dollar one really. And on top of that, if you want to, that. What hypothetically what would it be, if I wanted all twenty thousand dollars to be that four point two percent. If all my lodge members had a, had to buy a life membership, what would that life membership cost them? We'd have to have like an account that worth almost half a million dollars before we saw our twenty grand.
0: Mm.
1: You know what I mean like it's astronomical in fact it's a, it's a lot higher than that, so you're going to have math guys. You guys are going to have math guys come in and, and tear this apart. Basically, huge numbers you have to have in this account. Get your 4.2% to be $20,000, and you're to pay that. And if you wanted a really cool lodge, maybe like only 30 guys, that's a $10,000 uh, deposit to the grand lodge number. Right. I mean, and, it's and
2: insane. The, and the thing is with these life memberships as well, they, they've got this issue of, when they don't have enough money in the Grand Lodge side of the account. Either the Grand Lodge is taking reserve funds and infusing cash into that fund to bring it up, or they're not paying out any of the life membership. I've seen that too, where you know you, you promise this return, life membership, and all of a sudden, grand body will say, well, this year we're not making any distributions because it didn't make enough. So, so you're putting you're putting lodges out because now they have absolutely no funds to give, you, uh, either based off of what what I would consider a broken promise or that they just don't have any of the cash anymore. And right. so I, it's yeah. a broken it's going to be a broken system that's going to it's going to die probably just from lack of cash. It's going to yeah. run out. And of so money.
1: anybody who's out there, like I said, going into this dues argument, who says, well, what about life memberships and dues? There's your answer they suck they're
2: terrible and uh, yeah and you know and, and jumping on your your building I, I I'm slowly and, and so my next blog post that's going to be part two of this other one is actually at the idea of a lightweight lodge or a flexible lodge model and apparently in California I found this out listening to another podcast and so I'm super excited that it's actually happening and it's this idea that why are we attached to our buildings. I know Freemasonry likes to become a substitute for church. I I know I just said that, and some people are puckering right now. I apologize. But, you know, the thing is, it's true. People actually will treat Freemasonry as if it's a church. And so the building becomes so important because it's so important to the culture because this is the one thing that brings us together. And you see it with actual church. They'll They'll close a congregation down instead of you know moving to rental space for a few years, they'll shut it down because they're not getting enough members. That's crazy, right? I mean, the, yeah. the congregation still exists. The lodge still exists. And so I'm pushing this idea that we need to stop thinking about buildings so much. Right. I mean, we can do, mm-hmm. we can do buildings. I don't fault any lodge for owning a building. My lodge owns a building. My building, it's beautiful. But I'm starting to think that maybe it's not for everyone, and right. maybe we need to start backing away from why do we view the and then the dues argument becomes a what do you want to use this value of this cash for the thing that you're doing and that's fantastic because now it's a very different proposition now it's what is X doing for Y what am you know what fun thing what kind of meals am I getting what kind of education what kind this and that and it gets totally away from you know well we can't afford the lights the water's really expensive did you know that guys we really shouldn't be <laughs> flushing anymore right just stop you know i, I mean take it, your pail becomes, home with like, you <laughs> yeah it's like you know bring your own paper towels in because they're just too expensive and you're like guys why why are we doing this to ourselves you know we're yeah. just hitting our foreheads on a wall and not getting anywhere so
0: yeah see i don't know i'm, I'm yeah, I'm pushing away from buildings. I totally agree with your philosophy behind that. I 100% do. Right now, I'm like, I'm split on that. See, the lodge I was raised in was like your 70s model building. It honestly didn't mean that much to me. It was, I would say, much nicer than the one I'm in now. It was larger. It's newer. Um, but coming to Gardner, being the history nerd that I am, it's one of those buildings I walk in and I can just feel the past uh we got this old picture of McClintock, who uh was master over that lodge for like 30 years not consecutively but pretty close in time staring at you when you walk in and something about that i'm just like it gives you that feeling of i'm a brother's keeper i'm not letting this place go but then i got the other guy in the other shell, me no that it, it makes total sense you know these these buildings come with cost um it really just comes down to our experience. I mean, you know, when when it comes down to it, every lodge is different. And what do you want to get out of it? Experience comes with a cost. I mean, we can, uh, we can go experience or we can go rogue and meet in caves. of firelight. sounds kind of cool too. I, (laughs) I don't know, but I don't know, but we, I guess we are kind of getting close. Uh, why don't we just go ahead with final thoughts and, uh, See what you guys think there.
2: So, you know, for me, I think, and I wrote, I've wrote enough, enough blog posts about this saying that we're running out of elite type people. Elite doesn't mean we're running out of people that are intellectually capable of handling Freemasonry and appearing, those are the same guys that are in jobs that are very much, um, uh, they're intelligence based, they, they work with their minds and things like that. Um, and that includes people like linemen, people that are master plumbers, people that are... These people are not joining Freemasonry. The people joining Freemasonry are schlubs like me. And I know that sounds terrible, but I, I do wish that there were... I don't know. And see, with my elitist paper it really got got heated because it does feel uncomfortable to say this, but sometimes I really do want to hang out with with those that are considered my betters, and I think by valuing Freemasonry so low we 've just become another service organization and not a particularly good one because we 're not very good at the service side, so you know we're losing we 're losing whatever we were, whatever we are, and whatever we could be because we 're just valuing this place and making it just not worthy of the title and prestige that Freemasonry since far earlier than 1717 has to gain and i wish and hope that we can actually finally and maybe it's going to be a good thing when when you know this large cohort of ages finally goes that all of a sudden we will be forced into a rebuilding period and when that happens hopefully the raised at the same time um but you know that's kind of my Final thought on this. Thank you. I have a blog dot
0: com. Wonderful. Well, you, you, you hit a great point there. Um, and actually, in that recent presentation I did, I was bringing up these numbers, and then I, I hit the point of that change that we've seen over the last decades in masonry being the club versus the crowd. I saw a lot of mouths just go, <laughs> you know, it's not a popular topic to bring up, but it's it's got a valid point behind it. But anyways, RJ.
1: Man, the club be the, the craft. I've never heard that before. Uh, and I think that's really interesting. I, I've never looked at it that way or heard it put that way. But that is appropriate for sure. Um, I feel, again, uh, that when the dues match, you know, you got to get together and look at all of your expenses. And I think you just... It's simple math. You just take that, double it, divide it. By the people you got, why double it so that you don't put yourself in the hole if something happens? Um, it's kind of like when um, I've got a lot of friends who do some independent things like art or they, they're in business for themselves. Um, my wife used to bake cookies, you know, on the side, and she had a side business. And the thing was, it would... Look at the cost, and then say, "Okay, so I'm gonna make this many cookies, and this is the cost." And I'd look at her, and she was absolutely crazy. Like uh she says, "Well, you know, the bakery down the street only charges 250 a cookie," and I'm like, "Yeah, but they're buying their ingredients, at this cost, they're doing this, and they're paying their people garbage." Like you have a gourmet, you do this, you do this. So in the end, you know, I say. And to all my friends, my advice is, especially anybody listening, whether that's a lodge or your business for yourself, whatever you think you charge, double it. Guarantee you they'll pay it because if you're quality, you're good, right? Uh, and so I just think that's a good buffer for you. So if you guys take your expenses, double them and throw it out there, and that's your lodge dues, take all of your, your, your fees your uh, petition fee, your degree fees, and double those too. That's what we did, and it worked out really well. And you know what? If you think we're going to lose members, the only people you're going to lose by doing that are a couple of guys who don't want to come anymore because um, it's almost like if you raise the dues, I'm not going to come anymore. And now they want to come even though you raised them. But yeah. they're not going to because they're not going to be, uh, you know, they don't want to be the guy who comes in with his tail between his legs, and that's fine too. You know, we're not about upsetting anybody, but the facts are facts, and when it comes down to being financially responsible, you know, the executive officers have a uh, a fiduciary responsibility to the lodge, and as long as you're in that building, you need to treat it like you're keeping that building, and if you're going to keep that building, charge. Now, there are a couple buffers out there, right? So that petition fee doesn't really count into anything, those degree fees. I mean, those are fees that pay for holistic items, really, uh, your your performance. But the dues have are tied to stuff, and so we need to make sure that uh, those being paid. Uh, on the regular year, I suspend. Last year, I suspended 26 for non-payment of dues. This year, I suspended seven, and I suspect this number will continue to be about between 5 to 10 guys every year until we're down to about 80. Because that's about how many guys I have that when I send those dues notices out, in one month, I've sent out 80 dues cards. What's sad is I have guys who don't pay dues who are officers. I love that. Uh, I love that. I mean, I, I hate that. (laughs) Um, it's that meme that I put up occasionally of uh, Liam Neeson and he's on the phone right and you and you will pay me dues (laughs) Um, so you know the takeaway my final thought is fiscal responsibility and so you do what you have to do to make it work and uh, sometimes people are going to get bad but in the end we're brothers and it's not personal, um, you know. People say we're not a business, but in many cases we're a 501c3, and the second we accept that tax responsibility, you are a business, and you need to treat it that way. Very true. Uh, and again, that's that. Sorry about my my ranting, uh, whether it's online or whatever. Um, I I always like to tell folks, you know, especially this this recent article that Nick did. Um I love Nick's writing. I love the ideas he puts out there. Uh, so I'm always in your corner, Nick. Thanks for uh taking the heat for most of us. <laughs> and with that, I'm out with that. So uh if you like podcasts, whence came you, nine thirty on Sunday nights. That's all I thanks wonderful. Alex. It was uh amazing to be on program with you. Real a real honor.
0: I definitely appreciate it. and you know, what what just uh, kind of reflected on there very, very- good points and I, I challenge you all to go back and examine your own lodges look at that historical factor go back and look you know back when your lodge was chartered. what was the value of your lodge and look at it through time don't take it for that dollar amount but what was that dollar amount worth today see what the brethren back then valued the experience at and see what you value it at today and then also compare and contrast and see does your lodge give value behind that dollar amount or if they don't fix it Make the experience better. Make it worth it. Freemasonry is ours right now, and it's up to us to continue it if we want it to. So thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Means the world to me, and I hope this uh, conversation sparks some more conversations and improves the craft as a whole. So thank you guys all so much. We'll have the links available down below and on the website so you can keep in touch with these great men. All right, well, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview just as much as I did. To brothers Nick and RJ, thank you guys so much for coming on the show today. It was uh, very much appreciated. I really enjoyed sitting down and kind of digging in on your guys' knowledge and expertise a little bit on the matter. So thank you again, really, really appreciate it. To the rest of you, I wanna urge that you jump over to our Facebook group and continue the conversation there. Uh, That is the Historical Light Masonic Research Group on Facebook, so if you're not a member there, definitely check it out today, search it up, click join. We'll get you in on the action. There's some great conversations going on, and we'll continue this conversation there as well. So take part in that today, and we'll see you there until next time when we continue our quest for historical light. Take care.